flood-proof housing, yeah. Okay. And that's quite significant within itself because if we're talking about um, irresponsible behavior, some international financial institutions have actually built and constructed and sold properties that have been on floodplains that have flooded. So that's key point number one that we're looking to address. Key point number two is that it will be microgrid or off-grid from an alternative energy resource. And key point number three is it will be 50% shared ownership as opposed to 100% shared ownership. Wow. Now, it, 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 it's conditioning, really. Um, you know, we've, we've got property prices escalating. I mean, the average UK price um, is estimated to be £250,000. And I think in dollar terms, that's the equivalent probably to about just under $400,000. Okay. However, however, the average salary in the UK is £26,500. So, sorry? Let's see, and in dollars? Because you have to help me with that one. In, in, in dollars, it's probably just over $35,000, dollars Okay. So if we're working on 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 you know four or five times your income, the computer says no. If we look at current average house prices versus current average salaries, and and there's real issues in the UK just now as as I, I do realise in America as well because obviously I have a lot of contacts and colleagues across there and the same issues that are being faced there are the same issues that are, are being faced here. Right, absolutely. So so for me, um, I've actually pre-sold eight of these designs, even though the prospective buyers haven't seen the design. And and, and that's quite that's quite um incredible within itself. But what they're buying into is the buying into the three key points of the objectives that we want to achieve. Now, I had an evening where I was with an electrical contractor and I was with another guy. He came from an IT background. And he, they, they were coming from the argument that people want to acquire things 100% of the capital cost. And the point that I made to them during the course of the evening is I said, if you actually have a product in housing terms that covers your entire life cycle, so you're not upsizing, then the children leave, you're downsizing, okay, and it covers you from the cradle to the grave, you never really actually own a, a property 100% unless you're fortunate enough that you know, you've had a high-paying salary, you've inherited some money, you've won some lottery because at the point that you've upsized and downsized because the children have left the home, you then need to possibly readdress your finances because you then need that capital that's being created to look after you in your later years. Absolutely. So it's conditioning again. So 
as I said to them, and, and, and it's really these guys were 25, 26, I'm 48 myself, and the penny really dropped with them throughout the conversation. I said, but you do realize if you actually have this product that's executed, performed, and delivered by an organization that retains the 50%, but you actually have ownership in that company as well, where your minority voice is listened to, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just the speculator that contributes to the increasing prices. It's you just merely as a purchaser by acquiring your house in that methodology. And and they and the, the the electrical contractor guy said, yeah, it's obviously going to have LED lighting. And I said, look, in design terms, it will have all of the above, and it, it pretty much will set a precedent, I believe, of changing a paradigm shift on how people should live in the future. And towards the end of the conversation, I mean, this was for several hours. They eventually bought into that process towards the end. And how does that relate to, like, the average person? I know that I want to live healthy. I want to have a healthy lifestyle. You know, there's so much going on in the world today. There's a lot of sickness. And people talk about sustainable. And people say it, but I don't really know how much people are actually living that. So can you break that down for us? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's if you, if you look at where we are just now, I mean, there's a lot of debate going on about the one percent richest people in the world now about to control most of the wealth, more right. than the ninety nine percent. Okay, I had a very interesting conversation with a multi-millionaireess from New York. Okay. Hello? Yes. Oh, I, I, there was some interruption there, sorry. I kind of got feedback on something else. Oh, okay, yeah, it's quiet on this end. <laughs> right, okay. So so, so I had a conversation with this multimillionaire from New York, and, and she was very interested in what I'm doing and what I was saying. There's a lot of people engaging in it just now. And I, 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 the, I said to the lady, I said, can you um, advise me what percentage of your property portfolio is totally self-sufficient and sustainable from an alternative energy resource. And she says, why are you asking the question, Scott? I said, if you would be kind enough to answer the question, I'll tell you the reason why. And she said, well, in all honesty, you're talking solar, wind, geothermal, all those type of things that are more energy efficient than using carbon or fossil fuels. I said, correct. She says, well... To be honest with you, it's not an accurate figure, but it's probably zero zero point insignificant percentage. That is amazing. So, so I said the reason that I asked the question is what I'm about to reveal you, to you just now. You know, it's eco modular, it's flood proof, it's microgrid, it's off grid, it's fifty percent shared ownership. She went, goodness gracious me, interesting. She said, and, and, I, I, and I kind of challenged her perceived value of her perceived land, bricks and mortar and wealth that she has just now. 
And I said, I don't actually, I cannot comprehend the intrinsic value of what you have because fossil fuels is, is, is depleting, okay? Housing is not as, as, uh, as efficient as it should be. There have been leaps and bounds in, in, in advancements, let alone what I'm exploring here. And she says, they're very good observations of you as Scott. She says, but, you know, you're creating something that is looking to become a mutual, a cooperative, by the people, for the people. And I can see that you're putting a, a huge economic barometer on this. She says, but I'll tell you what I'll do, Scott. I'll keep my portfolio, which I own 100% of, as inefficient as it is, as we've both agreed and identified, rather than you give you my money to invest in something that I will have a minority interest in. That is, you know, as you're, as you're talking, I'm like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> it, 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 it really is amazing because the thing is, in architectural terms, some of the people that I've identified um I mean, I've known these guys for 15, 20 years. One of them has been uh, instrumental in, in supermarket rollouts. Um, I mean, it's not just the design in, 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 in the context of or the narrative of a house. I'm exploring the whole parameters of the master planning and how that design interacts within that community. I mean, I had a very interesting conversation with a guy a couple of weeks ago who's involved with agripods. And agripods create their own environment, okay, where you can then produce um, food on a micro scale. Uh, whereabouts are you in America? Where are you situated? I'm in Maryland. Maryland, okay, okay. So, I mean... Conversation with friends that I've had from New York and Hurricane Katrina, yeah? Okay. When, when you uh, roll out things on a macro level, including uh, energy resource, what happens is with the weirding phenomenon, the weirding phenomenon comes along and it basically impacts that uh, geographic location. But because the infrastructure is on a macro level, it has a domino effect. The same thing can apply with our food chain. So if you have uh, mass uh, industrial farming and a weirding phenomenon and a natural disaster uh, occurs, not only does it take out that industrial farming situation, it then will have a domino effect to the towns and the cities that are then dependent upon that resource. So what we're focusing on is developing things on a micro level, where they're totally self-sufficient and sustainable within their own resource. Okay, and so the thing is, is like, so she's right. You're working like grassroots, and mm -hmm. so the top one percent, either they don't get it or they just don't care. <laughs> the way um, I, the um, way. I they do. They do get it. In 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 all fairness, mm -hmm. um, you know, last year I had fifty approaches for investment. 
And in this process, I've met a chairman of a Scottish company who's been quite influential in my journey. And in actual fact, last Monday, I had another global businessman um, who I would say is eco-responsible, and he's looking to have a meeting with me the first week in February. Wonderful. And I've met... And I've met millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires, and multi-billionaires. I wouldn't say there's been a lot of them that have inspired me, because, I mean, mine is a different ideology, and a lot of them are conforming to an old methodology. And that's why I think, socially and economically, we're seeing so much inequality and so much contraction, because there's, there's a large portion of people that are maybe wanting something else or searching for something else, but feel conditioned or restrained by the only alternatives that are being offered to them. Restrained is a great great word to use in that, in that context. Um, Yeah. So I mean, it's, 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 it's quite funny, actually. I find the, the, whole process quite amusing and I am actually enjoying the process Um, I am I do get enjoyment because I mean my my reach is extending Um, I I think people are now listening um, and 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 people are, are definitely engaging and it just it just really puts the question mark up there for themselves you know why aren't we exploring these other alternatives you know yeah. I mean, but but you know, it, it, it's you're, you're kind of a little bit of a lone wolf because, you know, even in America, you guys have that uh, Bernie Sanders guy, the politician. He's quite environmentally conscious and ecology and everything else, and he's quite controversial and he's quite outspoken. Right. But he he's a minority within the Congress. Yes. So. You know, I'm I'm probably the equivalent of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, then at least we know you're on the right side of the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So, so yeah, I mean, it, politically, um, uh, even even from 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 a banking point of view, uh, industry and commerce, I think individual people need to to be begging and and asking the questions themselves. We we all know that our our finite natural resources are depleting. We all know that we can't keep on devouring and consuming at the rate uh, that that we're continuing. So um, I personally, because I I have children myself, I, I don't feel that you know the legacy that I hope to accomplish, I will see and fulfill it all but I know that my children will benefit from it absolutely they're you have they're with you and so and that's the way they're growing up is to be that independent where mm-hmm. lot, so that they know this is the way you live this is how mm-hmm. I live, you know and my dad's in the grassroots and that's exactly how I want to be mm-hmm. so you're so they're on the right track yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's really from my 2008 experience. Um, 
you know, my auntie had actually said to me, um, I think it was four or five years um, after that experience with the bank, which was kind of preeminent of their their culture. Um, and as much as it came as a shock pre-2008, I was probably, um, you know, uh, preeminent of their continued cultural behavior that it was four or five years later that she said to me, she says, people really do believe what happened to you now, Scott. But can I share two personal stories with you? Oh, please do. Okay. One story was um, I was living in America, actually, and I thought my world had ended. And basically, I came out of a situation completely devastated, relationship ended, ruined. I was then returning back to the UK, yeah? Okay. Um, It was like an epiphany. I, I then met somebody. He was an elderly gentleman, and he was selling melons. Okay, and he was quite frail um, and uh, disabled to a degree, and he was kind of struggling. So I kind of helped him in this process of loading these melons onto the cart, yeah? Okay. In that process, his wife came. Okay, and then I kind of looked at the interaction between his wife and the gentleman. And it was almost like something came to me that at that moment in time where it kind of expressed to me that you haven't lost anything, Scott. Because if you look at the connection that these two people had, that's something significant. Amazing. That's the first situation. The second situation is what happened to me via the banks in 2008. I mean, I'm talking, my lifestyle then was an Audi, Mercedes, a penthouse in Edinburgh, 360-degree panoramic views, a property portfolio of £15 million, which is equivalent to probably $22.5 million. I owed the bank 50% of that. Wow. One director turned round to me and he said, when I proved the bank wrong, he said, stop now, Scott, you've proved them wrong. But because of their attitude and their belligerent behavior and their culture, it made them even more belligerent because I actually did succeed and I proved them wrong to the point that they just called their money in. Okay. I compare that situation with what what they had done then comparable to the personal situation that I went through on a personal level because I now look back on it now and think you never took anything of significant value from me what you took from me is your failing social and economic model that is now that's really deep <laughs> it's really deep yeah but it's it's the truth because because the thing is i'm not conforming to the bank's tune their drum their beat everything that i'm doing is 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 looking from the design 
the architecture, uh, to the engineering, the uh, energy, and, and more importantly, the financial engineering. But if we look at the financial engineering and we evaluate the process of that financial engineering, we all know in any conversation that we have appertaining to the banks, they have a contracting balance sheet. And they have infinite amounts of bad debt. Yeah. So if you start something from the grassroots up that fundamentally does address all of the above things that we're looking to address, but it will conduct itself in 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 a, in a prudent, cautious, conservative, and restrained manner. But yeah, it has no baggage. It has no skeletons in the closet. I think it's more powerful, and in actual fact, I have an endorsement from somebody that used to work for an ethical bank, which unfortunately went through a little bit of a turmoil because the senior management in that organization mismanaged that situation the same as the Lehman's Brothers situation and the Royal Bank of Scotland situation. And he believes what I'm creating is what he started working 38 years ago for. Wow, 38 years? Yeah, but but the unfortunate thing is it's not what he'd left because of obviously the, the, the mismanagement that had gone on by, by, by the senior, senior management. But it, it's important for me to create an organization that does exactly what it says on the tin. And I, and I want minority voices and minority interests to be heard. That is, you know, you have constructed a model, I think, that is so empowering mm-hmm. that I can see you making a difference and making a change in the world. Mm-hmm. If, if we're going to have our consciousness switched, a lot of times we need to see that. And mm-hmm. so every little person that knows what you're doing or that works for you, I mean, that's one light bulb at a time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's ordinary people don't understand. I mean, to have 50 offers of investment and for your gut to tell your head and your heart that they don't have the same apparent motive and visible agenda as you, most ordinary people find that difficult to comprehend. I mean, I have personal friends that say to me, Scott, just take the money. It's not... (laughs) If you just take the money and they don't share your same core values... I mean, I actually had a meeting in London with a friend of mine that I've known for 15 years as well, and I walked away from the meeting... And then we didn't talk for 24 hours after that meeting. And he came back to me and he said, look, Scott, you're right. And I says, I know I'm right. I says, if you enter into something under duress, it ends in duress. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and really, if if there's a philanthropist out there, um, I mean... I just want to enjoy the process because unraveling the design process where we, you know, question, 
it even goes to the depths of uh, why, why are communities gated? Why do you have a wall around your property? Why are they linear and boxed and squared and confined? I mean, we, we really want to open up the whole debate on about not only having open internal spaces, but open external spaces as well that are more communal. Because that's part of the conditioning as well within that design process. If if you have your own private gate, then you have your own wall, and this is mine, and I'm not sharing it with you. Whereas if you come into things with a more community-minded spirit, I mean, it was very interesting uh, this evening. We had dispatches on the television, which is like an investigative sort of uh, program. And it was headed, low-paid Britain. Oh, my goodness. And, and, and it was covering the reality of people on minimum hours contracts. You know, these are the contracts where they don't have to guarantee you a certain amount of hours per week. Okay, but you're there at their beck and call. Um, there was some controversial aspects of some of the agencies that are managing these contracts and taking a percentage and paying them below minimum wage. And in the midst of all that, we have escalating housing costs, escalating energy costs, not so much just now with the with the drop in in, in the oil price. And then we have we have escalating food costs. And and you kind of think to yourself, you know, you know, do politicians think that people are living in a different dimension? I think so. <laughs> so, I, I mean, really do. <laughs> I mean, my, my my opinion of the current built environment is it has been due to lack of prudence, cautious conservatism, and restraint, primarily from a regulatory aspect, because the banks were left to have a field day. They were unregulated and, and run rough shot. Right. We're now then suffering the brunt of an expensive built environment. In in design terms, a lot of it is inefficient. In energy terms, it's inefficient. And from a financial engineering point of view, it's inefficient as well. And in the midst of that, politicians want us to take you know, zero hours contract, minimum wage, it, you know, the computer says no. It's that same argument again. Right, and trying to feed my family says no. That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I have to ask you, so what is the minimum wage in Europe? And minimum wage in the UK is £6.50, which would be just under... Um, eight dollars. So it's close to what it is here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And as we've gone through this with the banks, <clears throat> excuse me, and as you were saying, like when it comes to gas or you know food, all the prices are rising, and so to only say, okay, you're going to make seven or eight dollars an hour, if you have mm -hmm. a family of like five. That doesn't work, and so no. not everyone then can be sustainable if you're just on the bare minimum. 
Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And and I, and I think our, our, our housing model, um, even from a welfare point of view, I think managed um, more efficiently would actually um, reduce our future welfare costs based on the model that we actually want to roll out in a privatized situation as well. And that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you about the design. Where do you come up with the ideas for your design? Um, a large team? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, as I said, one of the architects, one of my architectural friends, um, he's, he's designed resorts globally. Another one has built supermarkets throughout Europe. Um, although the supermarket analogy is not really a good analogy to use either because, you know, we've had a situation here in the UK with Tesco's, which was, you know, the supermarket chain, which was expansion, expansion, expansion. Then they uh, misrepresented and misreported their profits. Now, all of a sudden, because people are more price conscious now, they're shopping at Lidl and Audi, which is a a cheaper supermarket chain, but the quality of the product is just the same. There was probably a a certain amount of snob value that Tesco's had when things were booming. But now, after 2008, you know, people are being more frugal with their money, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I've I've got three architects on on board within their own. I mean, they, they could be perceived as accomplished architects but not perceived and accomplished in relation to where we want to go with this from a sustainable point of view the essence of my idea without being upcycled recycled reclaimed um, you know looking at uh, procurement changing an angle or a degree here we have to go through that entire process yeah but the essence of my idea is quite simple in its rawest form. But any comprehension that you have of housing, it completely is is not something traditional. It's not conforming to current methodology in in, in design, build, and construction. It's 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 it really is a paradigm shift in in how I. I view people should live in the future. And, you know, we have to all get on board with that. It's Things are changing, and they're just going to keep changing, and we will have to make, we'll have to make some choices. Mm-hmm. I think so. We're going we're gonna to have to start making some quite, quite radical choices, um, um, actually, you know. So, yeah, I mean, Buckminster Fuller, um, who was a futurist, um, huge advocate of the, the environment as well, um, probably uh, in advance of his time, um, because the dome that he revealed at the Montreal exhibition in 1968 wasn't probably implemented until in projects such as the Eden Project, which was in Cornwall. So it took a long time for his ideas to really be implemented and evolve. Um, 
I mean, we had a very interesting conversation with a lady from Louisiana. Um, you know, she's sent us photographs of the water creeping up the front of her lawn, the impending threat of her house to be flooded. Now, the reality of that conversation with her, she's a lovely lady, we've become quite friendly, um, and she kind of gets the three key points of what we're hoping to accomplish. And as she said, I think off the top of my head, she'd paid $158,000 over a 10-year period, um, and she stands the threat of losing everything. She says, if I actually have your design, even with your financial model, I have 50% of something that will address my impending threat. So it's actually priceless and worth more than something that I own 100% of. Right. And, and, you know, Brad Pitt is doing some great things in New Orleans with the Make It Right cause. Yes, he is. Um, it, it's tremendous what he's doing there. But, you know... Rather than operating it as a charity, there's there's no reason why you can't operate it as as a socially responsible organisation that is profitable as well. And and well, in those situations, you know, people are in dire straits. But I see both. I can see both points of view. Mm-hmm. And so with this woman. So how are you all working with her? Um, well, basically, uh, she's a, a huge advocate and promoter um, of, of what we're doing. Um, she's definitely bought into to, to what we want to accomplish. And there have been invitations that have been extended for me to go across to New Orleans and continue the conversation and dialogue with them across there as well. And so you're 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 one you're glowing global, and so it's just really interesting that you have someone in New Orleans that you're talking to or Louisiana. That um, that is amazing. A, you have a, I a know. Um, it, it, it's probably fair to say that I'm I, I'm I really struggle to to think of a country that hasn't actually engaged in the process that that we're involved in. I mean, I'm talking to people in Taiwan, in Japan, um, pretty much over, over the entire globe, to tell you the truth, because the weirding phenomenon, as the scientists are calling it, with the erratic and increasing weather patterns that are becoming more severe, Right. that's impacting everybody. Right. Whether you're in, you know with what a direct result of what happened with tsunamis in, in Japan or the Philippines. It's, you know, people from from from, from Europe, in, in, in Germany, in France, everybody has has experienced the wrath of natural disasters um over the last few years. Right. Right. And so, I mean, we really do have to make a paradigm shift. Oh, that didn't come out right. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, that might happen. Um, <laughs> you know, a great, a great shift. Mm-hmm. It's we really have to go to go that way. Because when I think about the future, you're just okay. You see where we are now, 
And so where mm-hmm. are we going to be in like another 20 years, another 20, 30 years? Hopefully we've started to take care of the planet a little bit better. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you think about whether it's design or just the food you're going to eat or the clothes you're going to put on your back, you know, when you think about the future, I know I don't think of in terms of 20 20 or 30 years from now what things are going to look like. I just want to be in a healthy planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think so. I mean, I, mean I, I love Stephen Hawkins and, and you know, I, I kind of said to somebody and I, I started using this quite regular, you know, we're all humans on islands, some islands bigger than others, on a ball speeding through the universe. Oh, I like that. And And if we can all get it right on how we responsibly inhabit our own island, you know, 75% of the Earth, because of the the vastness of the oceans, is still unexplored. But yet we're spending billions going to space. Does that make any sense? (laughs) Not, Not to me, personally, not to me. It does not. And and you read articles that, you know, we're exploring for the equivalent, and apparently we have found the equivalent of of Earth that, you know, we, we can inhabit, but it's so many light years away. And, and you just think to yourself, you know, just, just get it right here. Exactly. You, you don't need to explore to go anywhere else to get it wrong there as well. Oh, I love that. That is Absolutely true. Absolutely. Well, Scott, it is here, 7.43. I must let our audience know that it is 12 (laughs) o'clock midnight in England, which just didn't register. I'm going to blame it on the stroke, that it didn't register the time difference. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's nearly quarter to one in the morning here, but I had a... I had a little siesta earlier on, so I'm I'm fine actually. Thank God, but we want to, you know, we need you to get your rest and to get to bed. And I have enjoyed talking with you. I am so glad that you said, okay, I will, you know, go ahead and sign in to like midnight. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I I really uh, appreciate you ha- having me. Uh, on the show, Kamira. Oh, my pleasure. And let our audience know how they can contact you. Um, Q U, the letter Q, then U, and ARC. Q U and ARC. If you Google that or you Google Scott, S C O T T dot Northcott, N O R T H C O W T. Um, there'll be multiple links that that you'll be able to be pointed in the right direction. And you know what? You changed on LinkedIn. You changed your picture. I changed my picture. Yes. I was like, that's. I was like, I love that picture. That's how I can find you. And then <laughs> I went today. I was like, well, wait a minute. Do I have the right Scott? <laughs> <laughs> person.
<laughs> yeah, that's kind of becoming becoming a bit of a standing joke, actually. They said what you need to do with your profile pictures is you need to get out there with maybe, I don't know, Kermit the Frog, because that has a green theme, you know, so. <laughs> oh, well, I think it's so neat, which is why I was like, okay, this is this is a cool guy, you know, I really like to talk to. And you were telling me about Blog Talk, so tell our listeners about Blog Talk. Um, yeah, we do we do a weekly show on on Blog Talk Radio. It's the Q U and Arc show. Um, uh, Joey from Staten Island, with uh, Amy from Las Vegas, who's one of the panelists, and we've got Matt, who's another panelist um, from California. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's every Wednesday. It's three p.m. Eastern, um, which is. Um, is 8 p.m. GMT London time, and and yeah, the audience uh, it varies, but weekly it's between four and six thousand uh, per week. You are reaching. I mean, you are global, so you are reaching a lot. Yeah, of mean mean the, the the current reach that we've estimated is 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 probably um, people that would have either heard of myself or heard of QU and Arc is probably to about three million now. That is amazing. So it's yeah, but it's 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 softly, softly, gently, gently. You know, I'm I'm pretty much, uh, you know, I just I I, I don't want to rush anything, and uh, I just want to get all the ingredients of of all the people involved. I just want to get a hundred percent correct. You know. Right. I applaud what you're doing. I really do. And with that amount of listeners. Of, you know, of course, you're going to be growing, but you are already changing a lot of minds every Wednesday. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting invitations and 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 one thing and and and, and another, um, but but I'm I'm very, how can I say this? I'm very meticulous who who we visibly align with. Okay. Because. Because I don't want to, I don't want to come across as another person with, you know, sound bites, rhetoric, and and no substance, and right. I don't want to create an organisation that's just sound bites and rhetoric and no substance either. Um, so we have had a lot of, uh, you know, invites uh, extended to us last year, but but some of them we just haven't aligned to, you know. Um, because I, I think what we're doing is really important, and I, and, and 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 it's challenging, and and it's it's not going to be an easy fight either. But I, I just want people to have confidence in me, and the organisation that we're building, and and just keep it moving forward on that same vein. You know. Yeah, I mean it's very authentic, and mm-hmm. so you really, when you're working with folks. You really do have to feel that they get what you're what you're doing or what you're saying, because for some, you know, yeah, it's just about money, and like it, it's about the, the sound bite. It sounds good, but it's actually the opposite of what's happening. Yeah. And so I think with you and your company, it's very authentic. Yeah, and I, I'm working with three writers and three authors, and and one of them has has, has already published a. 
a, a book that has delved into the murky realms of financial services and is actually recommended in the, and endorsed by quite a few uh, universities. And even in that process, uh, in discussion with, with them, they were getting really hung up on the blueprints, the design. And, and I, I said, look, you know, you're missing the main point. What I'm focused on is the architecture of the organization. That's what's vitally important. People need an organization that leads by example. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way. I don't want to end it, but that's, but, you know, we make sure that you're feeling healthy and whole in the morning. <laughs> you're getting sleep and you're resting. But I think that's a perfect uh, point for us to go ahead and kind of ponder. So I want to thank everyone to tuning in to the Stroke Diva Fabulous Show. Definitely go online and find our Scott Northcott. So you really want to listen to what he's saying, plug into what he's saying, so do that on Blog Talk Radio on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. And I'm sorry, now is that once a month or is that every day? It's every Wednesday, yeah. Every every Wednesday, okay. Yeah. Okay, now that makes sense. You see, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) 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 That makes complete sense. Okay, so thanks, everyone.